Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all? It's good to be back in the States. It's good to eat a cheeseburger. It's good. (laughs) I will say this about Israel. The vegetables and fruit is amazing. The meat, not so much. But it's good. It's good. Hey, uh, if it's your first time here, you've been here for a long time, I just want to invite you to get to know, we want to get to know you. And since our projector's broken today, we really don't have the number up there for you. But in the front of your chair, there should be like a little QR code there. You can scan that, and that'll get you a little uh, an op- opportunity to give, a, give your information to us so we can get to know you more. And we're going to send you a gift in the mail. Or you can text this number, 817-803-3131. In the foyer, we have a little uh, carousel out there. You can read that and get the number off there. It's 817-803-3131. That number is good for anything. If you, take the, if you text the keyword connect to that, uh, we'll get to know you and get more information about the church as well. And you can even text the keyword updates uh, to be on top of all things that are going on around here. So it's good. We've got a lot going on, a lot to look forward to. Good Friday is right around the corner and so is uh, Easter. You're like, what is it? Yes. If you're in the church world, Easter is like right here. Okay. Um, so we're looking forward to Easter, looking forward to Good Friday and that Holy Week. And so we're planning now what we're going to do. And um, so we are going to have a Good Friday service. So be looking forward to that. Some people are excited about that. Good. Amen. All right, four of us are going to be here. It's going to be awesome. Good Friday. It's going to be good. Hey, you're here, and you got a, you lost an hour of sleep, and so you're still here, so good job. I just want to open in prayer and then get into the scripture reading today. Uh, we are, again, in Isaiah 53, and this is going to continue all the way up to Easter. We're going to end this thing on Easter, and it's going to be powerful. And so please be praying for Easter. Be praying for those people uh, that, that are just so far from God. God wants to reach them. You know, we preach the gospel every Sunday, but there's something about Easter. People come and they're more open to the gospel presentation. So uh, let's just pray for that as well. So Father God, I pray right now that you'd open my mouth to speak your words. God, that uh, these people would have a heart to hear you, open their ears to understand, Lord, what you're saying to them. Holy Spirit, have your way in this message, have your way in this church, have your way in this people. God, we love you and we thank you. You be glorified in this, God, no one else. We thank you, Father God. I pray, looking forward to Easter, looking forward to Holy Week. Lord, I pray that we'd fall more and more in love with you, Jesus, and that our lives would reflect you more and more. God, I pray that we would take our place as sons and daughters, that we would understand what that means to be heirs to the kingdom of God. Lord, that we would walk in the fullness of power that is available to us. Lord, that we would understand what the Spirit does in us and for us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
So what we've been doing, we have to do a little different because the projector is broke. It will be up and running next week. So you'll be glad for, to hear that. So I'm going to read it from Isaiah 52 on to 53. And so as I read it, I would like you to stand, even if you don't have it. Um, if you do have it, you can read along with me. There should be some Bibles in your chairs um, as well. And that's out of the New Living Translation that we're reading this out of. Let me get, I lost my place here. Hold on one second. Luckily, Isaiah is a big book, so it's easy to find. So it starts in Isaiah 52, and we're going to read all the way through 53. I'm just going to read it, and you just contemplate it. So verse 13 starts with this. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels and he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So we're focusing today on this idea on 58, 53, 8 through 10, this little passage here. I want to read it to you and I want to open it up to you. It starts off like this. It says, no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. So clearly this passage is talking about, if you read the whole, the whole book, the whole chapter here in Isaiah 53 and 52, you see he's talking about Jesus. It's very simple to see Jesus in this passage. He's talking about his death primarily here in these verses, how he was to die, that nobody cared that he died without descendants. Jesus was around 33 years old when he died. So he was cut off in midstream, 
like his life was cut short. Despite what some books and what some movies say, Jesus didn't have kids. He wasn't married. Jesus had no descendants and nobody cared. They were like, good riddance, get out of here. You're cut off from your people forever and ever. So he had no descendants, no one cared. And when he died, they laid him in a rich man's cave, in a rich man's tomb. And I just got back from Jerusalem and I saw a couple of the tombs there. One claims to be where Jesus is buried. The other one kind of claims where Jesus is buried as well. We're not sure exactly which one it is, if it's the church of the Holy Sepulcher or the garden tomb. But what we do know is that Jesus was laid in a tomb and it was a rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea gave up his tomb so Jesus could be laid in it, a rich man. And we know this, that Jesus did not stay in that tomb. He did not make that tomb his home. He came out and he was victorious. And because of that, we are now his descendants, meaning we get the benefits of what he's done for us. We get this inheritance that Christ has done. Just like Joseph gave up his place, gave up his tomb and his, his place of rest, Jesus gave up his place so we could have a place. He came down from heaven and he lived this perfect life and he died a, a, a horrible death and he, was, and he did it for us because we were the rebels. We were the ones shaking our fist at Jesus, God saying, we don't need you, we don't want you. But Jesus came anyway, God came anyway to buy us back. He gave us a place. I love this, it says it was the Father's good plan to do this because he saw you and he saw me and he loved us. And that's why we call it Good Friday when he died on the cross because it was good for us, bad for him, but good for us. We were set free we were given place and we are now heirs with Christ. We are truly God's children. I love John 1.10. It says this, he came into the very world. John's talking about Jesus here, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right. I want you to grab onto that. If you have a Bible, you can underline that and just say, I have the right he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Jesus died and gave up his rights to give us the right to be children of God. We're not born of the flesh. We're born of the spirit. If you read your Bibles, Jesus has this conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking Jesus all about what he's doing. And Jesus tells this to Nicodemus. If you want to come to the Father, you must be born again. Nicodemus is, looks at Jesus confused. They say, what do you mean born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, you're not born of the flesh, but you're born of the water and the spirit. Jesus says to be born again means to be born in the spirit. And this is what Jesus did for us. He gave us his spirit. We are born in the spirit. When you give your life to Christ, this is what happens to you. Your spirit comes alive and you're reborn. That's why we call it a reborn believer, right? <laughs> this is what we talk about. I'm born again. We're born again. That's where that comes from. Jesus came to give us the right to become children of God. And I don't think we get the magnitude of the, or the comprehend the, the gravity of being a child of God because far too many of us do not act like children of God. Far too many of us live way outside and under the privilege that we have as children of God. We walk around looking 
for purpose. We look around, we walk around looking for betterment for ourselves, and we don't realize that we have everything we need already through Christ Jesus. We live like orphans. Orphans don't have a home. Orphans don't have a place. They don't have an inheritance. Orphans don't have anybody to care for them. But sons and daughters have a place. Sons and daughters have an inheritance. Sons and daughters have a safe place to be. And I didn't truly understand what this meant for me to be a child of God. You know, you sing the song, I am a child of God. You know that song? I love that song. But I truly didn't understand it. I'm still learning what that means to be a child of God. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm trying to be a better son for him. I'm trying to walk this thing out more. I'm trying to grasp it. Every day I fail, every day I I wake up and I'm less than what he's created me to be, but I'm walking towards it. And that's comfort for you and for me because you know what? He wants us to walk closer and closer into who he's created us to be and to become true sons and true daughters of God. Not not, Not orphans, not illegitimate children. I know that God doesn't have illegitimate children. God loves his kids. He takes care of his kids. He gives them a good inheritance. He gives them a good place. I'm just going to be transparent with you. Uh, when I had first taken over this church, I was about six months in. The church just wasn't growing and things weren't moving or happening the way I thought they should. And I went to this uh, ministry conference and I just I hadn't heard from God in a while. And I was praying on the way, turn the radio off. And I was praying on the way. I'm like, God, I just show me how to help this church grow. God, I, I pray that I go to this conference and I just, this, this church would grow and that you would increase it and, and make it multiply. And at that moment, I felt the Lord check me and he told me very plainly, I do not give you illegitimate children. He's saying, I'm not going to give illegitimate children. If you can't take care of my kids, I'm not going to give them to you. And that was a check for me because I wanted what I wanted, but God wants what he wants. He cares about his kids. He makes sure they have a good home and a good place. He doesn't want people to come to him and be left alone. God doesn't just save you and leave you. He saves you to bring you in and to give you a good hope and a future. There's a passage about that. But I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to live more like a son and less like an orphan. Trying to be more like what he's created me to be and less like who I, want, who I think I need to be. As a chosen son, I know that I have everything that I need. But yet I fail. Here's an, here's an example. So, you know, this, this projector has been out for a couple of weeks. We're waiting for the bulb to come in. And so I was kind of down about that, going, okay, maybe it'll be in and maybe it'll not. And it's like, that projector's really old. We need a new projector, da, da, da. All the, all the stuff we tell ourselves. My daughter has a program. She's a, a teacher at a, at a, as a private school. We walk into their sanctuary, and they have this big 30 by 20 LED wall, like covering the whole wall. Beautiful. It was magnificent. I walked in, I'm like, whoa. And then I started thinking, where's my LED wall? Why can't I have an LED wall? And then it started getting into my heart. I'm like, I wonder how much that cost. Mm. So I looked it up. I'm like, I even texted Christian, like, how much does this cost? About 30K? So, oh, yeah, pretty close, probably more. Mm. Must be nice. Must be nice to have that kind of money just throw away like that. Could have bought, you know, you could have, you know, the start, then I started spiritualizing. You could have got a, a better children's pastor. You could have paid them more. You could have funded missions. But it started seeping in my soul because I was living at that point as an orphan. I was living at that point as a spoiled child, not a son of God, not a royalty. I was seeing what I didn't have 
rather than what I did have. I didn't realize the inheritance that I truly had, but yet I wanted something else thinking that that was going to complete me. You know, if I could just get that LED wall, I'm a, we, would just, we couldn't fit people in here because they'd be like, oh, LED wall. <laughs> stupid. It really is stupid. But that's how we think, right? If I can just get that, it's going to complete me. It's going to change the world. But no, you already got everything you need. You got Jesus. What else do you need? What else do you need? But yet so often we live like that, don't we? We look at what other people have and we get jealous and we live like orphans and we live like, you know, at, at best, we live like siblings, right? I mean, if you have brothers and sisters, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Somebody's always jockeying for position in the household. You know, your mom's favorite, your dad's favorite. This week, my daughter was wanting another dog. And so there's this joke, right? That my dog, Charlie, is our favorite out of all the kids. <laughs> They're agreed. <laughs> he gets away with everything. And, and, you know, we have this just like, you're the favorite, he's the favorite. We're always jockeying for position, right? And when our sibling gets something that we think we should have got, we get mad and we get angry. We break it. <laughs> Not that it ever happened, but we hide it. We resent them for it. That's living like siblings. That's not living like true sons and daughters. That's not living like royalty, understanding that everything we have is more than enough, that God has given us everything. What, what can else can, can please me? What else could bring me purpose and hope? But often we live that way, don't we? We live like siblings instead of like sons and daughters. Instead of seeing the people next to me as a son and daughter of God, I see them as siblings to compete with rather than somebody to love and to, and to be happy for when things happen. I should have walked into that church and go, oh my goodness, God has blessed them so much they can afford this. That's so amazing. I should have went to the pastor and go, man, I'm so glad that God's doing this for you. But no, it's like, oh, where's mine? Where's mine? That's not what God's called us to live. That's not how he's lived, called us to live. We are to live by the spirit and the spirit wants what God wants, not what we think we want. We fail so often, guys, to live as true sons and daughters. It's our issue. It's always been our issue. If you look in the Bible, from the beginning of the book, you see this problem with siblings. You have who? Right at the beginning. You have Cain and Abel. Abel offers up a good sacrifice. God's like, oh, Abel, that's such a good sacrifice. I accept it. Cain comes back with leftovers, some dirty banana peels or something, <laughs> offers it up to God. God's like, Cain, if you just do what's right, man, I will accept it. So Cain gets angry, gets indignant, and he, that starts building up in his heart. And what's he do? He kills his brother over an offering. It's like, I'm dad's favorite. I'm going to take out the competition. And what happens? Cain gets, you know, the story. And then and it continues on and on and on. You see this with Jacob and Esau, Right? Esau was supposed to be the first, he was the first, he's supposed to be the firstborn, but Jacob grabs his heel. Jacob always is trying to connive and he steals Esau's blessing. And then he also steals Esau's birthright. There's us jockeying exactly like siblings. We're not taking what God has given to us and thinking it's enough. You see this with Joseph and his brothers. Joseph, I'm the favorite and everybody's going to know about it, right? Wear my coat of many colors and flash it in front of you, go tell them my brothers. We even see this in the New Testament. 
two siblings, James and John, the sons of thunder, Zebedee, right? Jesus, at the height of his ministry, he's about to go to the cross. He's sitting across from his disciples. He's telling them this one's going to happen to him. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to be taken up. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to, I'm going to rise again. Don't worry about it. So he's telling his disciples right there, all the troubles that are about to come. And what did James and John do? Say, Hey, Jesus, can we ask you a question? When you come into your kingdom, can, can one of us sit at your right and left and which one can sit at your right and which one can sit at your left? In the moment of Jesus' despair, these two guys are jockeying for position in the kingdom. Can you imagine that? That's how we are. We're always trying to get more from God and not accepting what he's given to us already. I mean, we see this all the time when people die. When a patriarch of the family dies and there's this estate left over, like families split over this stuff. It's horrible. It's just stuff. It's just things. It's not eternal. But yet we fight and we squabble and we disown and it causes rifts in the family. It's because we're living like orphans. We're living like siblings instead of sons and daughters of God, knowing that we already have everything we need. It's our issue. And if I truly looked at what God has given to me and understand my privilege as a chosen son, I could be happy for others when they flourish, even if I diminish. I mean, what if we truly exercised our rights because God has given us the right to become children of God? What if we truly exercised our rights as daughters and sons of the king of the universe? How would our lives look different? How would our families look different? How would our world look different? What would happen if we truly understood that? Let me break it down for you. So Galatians 4, 4, 7 says this. But when the right time came, this is when Jesus came, the right time, perfect timing. God's timing is always perfect. God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, just like us, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. What did Jesus come to do? This is what we've been asking through this whole series of Isaiah 53, what did Jesus, who is Jesus, what did he do and what he wants to do through us? So what did he do? He bought us. He bought us from slavery. He gave us freedom. And I think that's where we kind of leave it. Lord, I take my ticket to heaven and I call it good. I take my cupcake from Jesus and I go home. But Jesus came to do more than that. He came, he came more than to open the doors of heaven for you. He came to give you heaven in your life. He came to use you for a purpose and a reason. So he sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us into his own children. And because we are his children, so we're his children, so something happens, right? Because we're children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Abba, Father means it's like Father, Father, Dad, Dad, I love you. Daddy God. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. See what Paul's saying here? He's, he's telling the Galatians what Christ has done for them. And these people understand it because they're mostly Roman people. And in Rome, adoption meant something. I mean, here it means something. But in Rome, they would adopt adults. And they would adopt adults for the single purpose of making them an heir and giving them their inheritance so they could carry it on. You see this a lot with the Caesars. A lot of the Caesars are not birth sons. They're adopted sons. 
They see something in them. They see something magnificent in them. They're a great leader. Maybe they're really diplomatic or they're great speakers. And they say, I want him to inherit everything that I have. And so they would adopt them. And so, and so Paul is telling the Galatians here, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is what God does for us. He adopts us in and he gives us an inheritance that we didn't have before. To be adopted in the Roman culture was a big thing. I want to read what one person says about adoption in the Roman culture. Because in Jewish culture, there really is an adoption. Either you're, you're born in it or you, or you, and you have it or you don't. But in Rome, it's different. In ancient Rome, adoption had a powerful meaning. When a child was born biologically, the parents could disown the child for any reason. So biological children, if I don't like them, you're out of the house. Disown them. No reason, any reason. But not so, however, if a child was adopted. In Rome, adopting a child meant, number one, that child was freely chosen by the parents, desired by the parents. Are, you even, are any of you in here adopted? Anybody? You were chosen. The people that adopted you chose you. I didn't get the honor of choosing my kids. God just gave them to me. So good luck. But when somebody chooses someone else, they see in them a quality. They see them in value. They see value in them. And they say, I want to adopt this child. I want to adopt this person. I'm going to bring them into my house. They're going to take on my identity. They're going to take on our family name. And I'm going to give them an inheritance. They have rights to everything that I have. Adoption is a beautiful thing. And this is what Paul is telling the Galatian church. And he's telling us today. That when God adopted you, he chose you. He desired you. And he chose you to be his children. And not only that, that child would be a permanent member of the family. Get this, parents could not disown the child that they adopted. In Rome, if you adopt a kid, you cannot disown them. Legally, they have every right to your estate. And you cannot kick them out, no matter how bad they act, no matter how awful they are, no matter what they do to you. An adopted child received a new identity. And also that, any prior commitments, responsibilities, and debts were erased immediately. Remember, they, they adopted adults. So anything in the past was gone, and they were brought in. And then new rights and responsibilities were taken on. So now they had come into the family. They have new responsibilities. They have new rights as a family member. Guess what? You have new authority because you're in my family. Also in ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was a part of life. It wasn't something you got when that person died, you get the inheritance. If you're adopted into the Roman family, you got a part of that. You get to operate in that inheritance immediately. Like what my, what's my dad's is mine. I get to operate. I get to control his fields. I get to do whatever because it's mine because it's his. You don't have to wait for someone to die to get it. Being adopted made someone an heir to the father immediately. Joint shares in all his possessions and fully united with him. That's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. The word there is to aggregate or adopt. This passage perfectly describes that process. Here's the thing. If someone wanted to adopt a slave, because that's normally what happened. There's a slave, they see value in that person. They want to adopt them and bring them in. 
to adopt a child in the Roman culture, they, or an adult even, first they had to be a citizen of Rome. But to make them a citizen of Rome, it, it, you have to be born into Rome or you have to buy your way into Rome. Remember the story where Paul is getting beat and the Roman satyrian says, oh, I didn't know you were a citizen. How did you get your citizenship? And Paul said, well, I was born a Roman. And the centurion says, that's awesome. I'm a Roman citizen, but it cost me plenty. It cost, you had to pay to be a citizen if you weren't born into it. You had to do something. You had to be brought in by someone else. And so they would, if somebody wanted to purchase a slave or buy, or buy a slave and bring them into their family as an adoption inheritance, they would have to buy them out of slavery, pay the price for them, which usually was a lot, depending on what they did. And then they could be bought again into the citizenship. And then they could become adopted in. So freedom, citizenship, adoption. Freedom, citizenship, adoption. This is what Jesus did for us. He bought our freedom. He made us citizens of heaven. And he didn't stop there. And this is where many believers stop. We stop right here. Well, I'm a citizen of heaven. That's great. I get to walk the streets of gold. No, <laughs> you're an heir. You're adopted in. Heaven is yours as well. You get to rule and reign with Christ Jesus. Second Timothy talks about this. Revelation talks about this. We have privilege as believers. We have privilege as adopted sons and daughters, but yet we don't live there. We don't understand it fully. The word heir in Greek is kleronomos. I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but it just sounds good. Clarinomos. And this is what it means. It means to give, to be given the power, like you are given a power for the right to take the portion that has been allotted to you. I have a right to my inheritance. As a believer, you have a right to your inheritance. Jesus gave you that right to become children of God. It's a legal right and it's protected by law. I love what one writer says when he talks about what it means to be an heir. He says this, the believer's heirship is not merely a future hope, like one day I'll get the inheritance, one day I'll be an heir to the kingdom, but it's a present reality. Even now in this present life, we have the right as God's children to look forward to the full possession of that which we now possess only in principle. There's this theological term called now and later. I know it's like, it's not the candy if you grew up. It's now and later. You, you get it now and you get more later. There's this inheritance you get now, and you get it in the fullness later. And then this future inheritance serves, because we know there's more coming, to motivate us to godliness, to holiness, and to good works. Because I know who I am and whose I am and what I have in him, I automatically live a holy life. I pursue it. Not, like I said, it's not that we never mess up, but we pursue holiness, we pursue goodness, and we pursue doing good works for him. It's a future hope, something that we have. The spirit of God has been inserted into you to move into that. That's part of the inheritance now. The inheritance now is the Holy Spirit in us, crying out to us, telling us who we are in him. I love Romans 12, Romans 8, 12 through 17. This breaks it down beautifully for us. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, because you're sons and daughters of God, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature, your old nature, your adopt, your orphan or sibling nature urges you to do. 
For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are what? Children of God. If you're led by the spirit, you're a child of God. How do you know you're a child of God? Because the spirit leads you. If you're not being led by the spirit, then you need to check yourself. What does that look like in my life? It means that when the spirit tells me to do something, I know. Now, I don't always obey because there's always fears of uh, what if I go and pray for that person? What if I do something? But the spirit of God is always keeping you in line with God. Meaning the things that bothered me before I was saved or the things that didn't bother me actually, because I didn't care when I was sinning before I, knew, before I knew Jesus, I would do all these things and it wouldn't cross my mind. But once I became a believer and once I gave my life to Christ, there's something inside of me called an internal witness, the Holy Spirit nagging me, telling me there's something more for you. There's something better for you. Don't do that because God has more for you. That's what it means to live by the spirit. It's realizing what he's doing in you, what he's doing through you. And he's telling you, look, this is not God's best for you. I want what's God's best for you. I want to bring you into who he's created you to be. That's the inheritance we have through the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul's saying here in Romans. You don't have to do those things because you have the spirit in you guiding you and teaching you and leading you so you may live. And I love this. He goes, so you did not receive a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Remember, you're bought. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you. There's that inheritance part. As his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. There's that word again. For his spirit... Remember I talked about being joined with that Roman adoption? For we are, his spirit joins with our spirits to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his, I love this, children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Everything that Jesus is, we get to be. Isn't that amazing that we are co-heirs with Christ in this kingdom work? He has chosen us to do something special. He has chosen us to be his children. He has chosen us to share in the glory. It says here, we can live holy because we have the spirit. He's our inheritance. So what does the spirit do for us? Well, we know that spirit gives life. Number one, he gives us gifts, right? The gifts of the spirit to encourage the believers we believe all the spirit, all the, all the gifts are still active and functioning in the church today. He gives us uh, power to be a witness. There's so much. This could be a whole sermon, a whole series, actually. <laughs> but, and the spirit gives us fruit. You will know a tree by its fruit. You will know a believer by his fruit, how they live. So what is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says, there's no law against these things because the spirit's working perfectly in you. And I don't say we do these things perfectly, but if the spirit of God is in you, he's going to be growing love. He's going to be growing joy. He's going to be growing peace. He's going to be growing patience. He's going to be growing self-control. You're going to begin coming more and more and more of these as you continue to journey with Christ and follow him. It's the Holy Spirit's job to grow these things, not ourselves. All we got to do is stay connected to God, right? He says, abide in me and you will do good works, right? So if you abide in Christ, 
meaning stay connected to him, these things will just automatically come. But yet we don't understand our inheritance. We don't live up to that inheritance. We get it now and we get it later. What's the later inheritance? Well, we get to reign with Christ. We get new bodies. Praise God for that. There's no tears in heaven. Not only that, we get to see Christ in his fullness. That's the day I'm waiting for. To see my Lord and Savior face to face. That's a beautiful inheritance. That's the later. And we look forward to the later. And the later that we look forward to allows us to work in the now. When I look forward to the later and know that there's something better for me than right here, I'm not trying to fight and scrap and get everything I can here because I know there's something better laid up for me in the future. I love how C.S. Lewis put it about this. He says, as a continual looking forward to the eternal world, it's not a form of escapism because a lot of people say, well, you believers, you just got your heads in the clouds and you're just looking for a time to come. He's like, it's not escapism. We're not trying to leave this planet. We want to leave this planet, but we're not trying to escape or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, we're meant to look forward to that time. It's the hope. And it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. Believers, you are saved and you are transformed and you are filled for a reason. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. Your view of who you are now, the view of what you have, the inheritance that you have is going to make you do something with where you're at right now. It's going to change your world. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read it again. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief because there was a plan. When his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. If you're saved today, you're a descendant. You know what I loved in Israel? When I went to Jerusalem, it's just a little bitty sliver, a one mile track of old city. But inside there, there was nations from all over the world. There was French speakers, there was Belgium, there was, there was France, there was uh, Africans, there was Asians, there was Europeans, there was Americans, there were South Americans, and they were all there. All there on their pilgrimage to see Jesus, to, to walk where Jesus walked, to, to get to know him better. It was beautiful. We'd walk into places and we'd be singing in English and they'd be singing in whatever language they had. And it was beautiful. We are all his descendants. We are all his descendants. And he will enjoy a long life, meaning he's not going to stay dead. He's risen from, from the dead. And the Lord's good plan, I want to focus on this, will prosper in his hands. You are God's good plan. Do you know that? What? I'm God's good plan? Yes, he chose you. He sees you. And he says, I want you in my family. You're my good plan. His good plans will prosper in whose hands? His hands, not your hands. You have nothing to do with it. It's his hands. See, here's the thing, because we are his and he's called us to prosper and he wants us to be his heirs, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility because we have access to the powers of heaven. And we also have the authority to use it. Even now, even right now, we are made heirs, not to sit on our dairy heirs, on our rusty dusties, he's called us to, to do something. We don't make a throne and sit on it and say, well, I'm, I'm a child of God. It's so good. He says, no, I've given you an authority. I've given you a responsibility. There was a video I was going to show 
but you know, that thing broke. <laughs> About a young lady named Sarah Colpert. I don't know if you know her story, but she was a 28 year old uh, girl, woman. She was adopted. And she wondered about her birth family. So she started doing some research about her birth family. And she found out her mom had passed a cancer. And she, she found her dad, and he was West African. And so she calls the family. They get a hold of her. And they say, Sarah, do you know who you are? And she's like, I'm Sarah. It's like, no, no. Your father, your, 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 uh, I think she said, your uncle is a chieftain. Your father was a chieftain. You can be a chief. You can be a prince. You're a princess is what they're saying. Sarah, you're a princess. She didn't know. Lived her whole life in America as adopted, loved her family. But she didn't know she had this right and responsibility as a princess. She goes to Sierra Leone. She checks out what's going on around there. She sees all the, all the stuff that's been happening because of the, the blood, blood diamond wars and everything that's going on. The kids just limbs missing, no running water, buildings in dismay. And she said, I couldn't just go back home to the States and say, well, good luck, guys. She said, no, I knew that I had a responsibility. I knew that I had a responsibility to do something about it. She had the power. She's a chieftain, right, princess. And she had the responsibility. And she had the resources. So she starts a nonprofit. She starts putting in wells. She starts making the lives better for the people there. And that's what God's called us to do as his heirs. He's called us to bring heaven to earth, to bring people to faith, to show people Jesus, to see people in slavery and say, come on, I know someone that can set you free. I know someone that can make you a citizen. I know someone that might want you in his house. Christian, if I can get you to come up, I want to end this way. I want you to take a good look at yourself this morning. As I was speaking, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a son or a daughter not just a son or daughter, but an heir to all that God has for you, the inheritance, the internal inheritance. And here's the thing. His inheritance isn't divvied out and it runs out. He's eternal. Meaning the inheritance is eternal. Like I don't get a piece and they don't, you know, she don't get it. My wife doesn't get a piece. We get the whole thing. We all get the whole thing. That's the beauty of it. Are you living like a son and daughter? Are you living up to what God has done in you? Or maybe you just stopped at citizen state and said, well, this is good enough for me. I'll come to church and I'll give a little in the offering and I'll just call it good and live my life. Take my ticket to heaven. Or are you living like an orphan? Are you far from God? You don't even know who he is. And you're looking for purpose and meaning and you don't know where it's at. And you're buying all these things thinking that's going to make your life have purpose. You're chasing relationships that are not good because you think they're going to bring you some, something, that they're going to complete you. Maybe you're diving into substances to bring peace to you. I'm telling you, there's no peace there, none. The only person that brings perfect peace is Jesus. The only one that can give you perfect, life, purpose, and meaning is Jesus. He wants to buy you. He wants to set you free. And he wants to bring you to his dad. Jesus said this in John 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Are your hearts troubled today? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is what Jesus is saying. In my father's house are many rooms. I love the King James. It says many mansions. 
It's not like they're next door to each other. It's all in the house. Like in my father's house, you know the song, if you're a youth kid, we can play football, right? It's that big. In my father's house are many rooms, meaning everyone has a room. Everybody gets a portion. And you know what? My room's not gonna be nicer than your room. You're not gonna walk into my room and go, wow. LED wall, yeah, they go, wow, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not going to matter. You know what's going to matter is you're in the Father's house. That's all that's going to matter. And that's what he's called us to be. He goes, I'm, I go, Jesus says, I go to make a place for you. If, and if I go, I prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may also be saying, I'm giving you an inheritance now and I'm coming back to give you the full inheritance. And then Thomas, the disciple said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way. You want in the Father's house, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. I don't care what popular culture says. Jesus is the only way to the heaven. Jesus is the only way to the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. But from now on, you do know him because you've seen him. Jesus is saying, me and God are one. Me and the father are one. If you see me, you've seen him. I'm going to make a place for you. It's good news. It's the gospel. It's awesome. Love it. So this is what I want you to do today. I want you to stand with me. And I want the prayer team to come up. prayer for anything, please come get prayer. If you need healing in your body, if you need healing of relationship, that's been strong in my heart. My wife is even praying it while we were singing. Relationships need restored, and I believe today that God's going to restore that relationship. If you and your spouse just come up and get prayed for, it's going to start a journey in your life that's going to fix it. It's going to, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be overnight, but God's going to start restoring things that were broken in that relationship. Maybe today you're chasing things, thinking that's going to bring you purpose, but Jesus is the only purpose. So I want you to come get prayed for. Nothing magical about these people that just want to help pray with you. And today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never understood what it meant to be a son or a daughter, you didn't understand the privilege that you have in him, today's your day to do that. All you got to do is come up, take a step. Approach the Father. Approach a prayer member. And they're going to pray with you. And they're going to lead you in that prayer. And they're going to help you move forward in that. That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. Whatever he wants to do. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, Father God, that you lead everybody up that needs prayer. Right now, God, the people sitting in their seats that need to know you, they've, they've put you off for far too long. Lord, you've been chasing them down with your goodness. And everywhere they run, they hear the name Jesus. And they're like, what is Jesus? I need Jesus. And today, Lord, let them find Jesus. Thank you, God. I pray for this relationship that needs to be restored, God, that they would have faith to come up despite the anger and the anxiety and the resentment. God, that as they come up, God, you would just break that off of them in the name of Jesus right now. Father, I pray for those that need healing, that before they even come up and get prayed for, God, you're healing their bodies. Pain is leaving their bodies. Uh, 
Lord, that ligaments are being restored in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you bring everybody up that needs prayer in Jesus' name.